All right, please turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. So we've been in a series, and next week we'll finish it out with a message entitled, Greet Every Saint. Uh, but today we wanted to uh, spend some time in chapter 4 and verse 4, which is our uh, really our major proposition for this whole series, Rejoice in the Lord always, in, in every circumstance, in every moment, um, to rejoice in the Lord. And so Paul is writing to these Philippian believers uh, whose church was started with adversity. You remember, as Paul came into the city of Philippi, the first home that was available to him was Lydia. The Lord had opened her heart, and she said, if you count me worthy, come into my home. And so uh, Paul and Silas did. Uh, but then as they began preaching the gospel uh, there in that city, uh, quite an opposition rose up against them, and they were thrown into prison. Uh, they were beaten. They were put in stocks. And then uh, late that night, a great earthquake came along and shook the, the cells loose, and the stocks came open. Uh, the jailer, supposing that everybody had fled, was going to uh, kill himself. But Paul cried out, do yourself no harm. And so God then opened the jailer's heart and another home and began to connect uh, these two homes like a chain. And then the church began to grow. So I'm sure that as Paul is writing this letter, it's not just an academic exercise for him. He, he remembers these people. And he remembers the adversity that the church was born in. Um, and can you imagine having your back lacerated, being hunched over into a painful position for hours, and singing praises to God? And so from the very first moments of Paul's arrival in the city of Philippi, he's demonstrating to them a life of joy even when circumstances are against him. And so no wonder why he can write to them, rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, so he's not, just, once again, writing something academic. He's writing something relational. He's uh, writing something personal that he has exemplified in his own life. And so we need to find that the Lord is our source of joy. Um, because of him, we don't need to be anxious. And we're going to see this uh, in our text today as we turn there. And uh, prayer uh, blink brings the, the blessed gift of peace uh, to us. So let's go ahead and we'll read uh, verses uh, 1 through 8 here today. Philippians chapter 4, and let me find my glasses here and get all set up and ready to go. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, Help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my other fellow laborers whose names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, what's the word? Rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. 
the Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. As you look at chapter 4 and verse 1, and you see the first word, therefore, you always ask the question, why for is the therefore therefore, all right? Well, for all of the great doctrinal truths that he's presented, uh, our relationship and our unity with God the Father, uh, the great joy that we have in Jesus Christ, uh, the humility of Christ in chapter 2, in humbling himself, in taking upon himself the form of a servant, um, the fashion of a man, and humbling himself unto death so that we could be saved. All of that wonderful truth. And then he comes to this moment where he turns theolo uh, theological truth and, and the theoretical into an actual practice in their lives and in our lives. So he, he comes away now and, and he's writing the conclusion to his letter with a practical summary. And notice his terms of endearment for these people. Dearly beloved, longed for, joy and crown, my dearly beloved. Um, he has an affection for these people, as every pastor has an affection for the shepherd uh, the sheep and the shepherd relationship that God has. And there's that affection in my heart for you. There's an affection in my heart for the people that I pastored uh, when I started out in ministry 25 years ago. And this is the heart of a shepherd, is that God's people are beloved. Um, they're worth loving because of what the Savior has done. And so there's this affection, joy and crown, all right? So here's this theme again, the joy and crown. Uh, let's take our Bibles and go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19, the Apostle Paul uh, points out that he looks here at the Thessalonian believers as his source of joy and his crown, his, his rejoicing, uh, that when he gets to heaven, uh, he is going to have joy. So if you're looking at that context there, um, he led them to the Lord. Now, some of you, I've had the opportunity to lead to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And, and that's a wonderful thing that becomes great joy. I don't know if the statistics are true, but they say that only 5% of Christians ever lead somebody to the Lord. If that statistic were true, then something needs to change in the church. Because we all should be sharing the gospel. We all should have the joy of, of leading somebody to the Lord. I remember a young man that came out from Pennsylvania to work uh, in the ministry up there in Concord that I was in for 20 years. 
And uh, we went through and we trained in evangelism explosion, Dr. James D. Kennedy out of uh, Coral Ridge, uh, Florida, many years ago, created uh, a soul-winning ministry called Evangelism Explosion. It taught uh, people in his local church how to share the gospel. And um, the story goes like this. When he first became the pastor in, in this church, he had a guest speaker come in, and um, he's like, hey, I would like for you to, to go out and visit uh, this unsaved husband uh, of this woman who comes to our church. Would you go with me? And so the guest speaker's like, sure, I'll go with you. And so Pastor Kennedy uh, takes this guest speaker uh, to the home, and they're sitting there visiting, and the guest speaker is waiting for James Kennedy to transition into the gospel and sharing Jesus. Never happened. Matter of fact, it was very awkward. Kennedy was stumbling all over himself. And uh, after the visit was over, the guest speaker said, you don't know how to share the gospel, do you? And, and here he is, a pastor. In that 5%, no, okay? He's in the 95%. They didn't know how to, to win somebody to Jesus. And so from there, he was convicted. He was burdened. That he know how to share the gospel with somebody the next time. So as he sat down, he came up with, this way of presenting the gospel, um, the, the grace of God first, represented by the, the thumbs up, like the free grace of God. Uh, then the sinfulness of man, you, you know, you always point the finger at someone else, but you got three pointing back at you, right? Uh, then the, the middle finger, the longest finger, God the Father. Uh, then the ring finger, Christ, uh, who he is and what he did. And, and then the smallest finger, the pinky, representing faith. And so he trained his congregation of about 100 or so, and within a few years, their church had multiplied into the thousands because they were all trained to share the gospel. And so Paul uh, was saying to these believers in, in Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19, you're my joy and you're my crown. I, I led you to the Lord, and when we get to heaven... I'm going to stand before the presence of God with joy because you're there with me. You know, we always say about material possessions, you can't take it with you. But you can take someone with you to heaven. So let that be your joy as a Christian. It's been my joy throughout the years to lead many people to Jesus Christ. Now, if it becomes my crown, then all glory to God. Amen? Um, it was His grace in the first place that saved me and put a burden in my heart to have pastoral ministry and gifted me to share the gospel and it'll be his grace then to offer reward which i just sometimes am amazed at the grace of god why would he reward us for something that he gifted us to do in the first place and uh, the goodness and the, and the grace of god um, we win this is our victory and so paul looks ahead and he's hoping that his friends will find the Lord their surest uh, source of joy. And then he puts them at ease in their heart and in their mind as we go back now uh, to Philippians chapter 4. Um, so he's encouraged them to stand fast in the Lord, to have your shoes uh, that, that will anchor your stance 
And so be strong in the Lord. Hey, listen, if there's ever a day and an age in the United States of America where we need to stand strong in the Lord, it's now. There are many people who are falling away. Uh, there are many churches that never came back after COVID because people did not stand fast in the Lord. So, hey, listen, if you're standing fast in the Lord. Keep, continue to do so. Uh, you have uh, a transition ahead of you. Stand fast in the Lord. Be anchored in Jesus Christ. Then we come to verse 2, uh, which leads to our first point here today uh, of rejoicing in the Lord. Uh, verses 1 through 3 is rejoicing uh, in the Lord through unity. So he mentions uh, two women here. I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Uh, one pastor one time was teasing, and he said their names are, you are odious and you are soon touchy. Okay? So, Yodia actually means fragrance, prosperous. Um, and then Syntyche, happy chance. All right? So, this is the real meaning of their names, but he's imploring them to be of the same mind in the Lord. They are to agree with one another uh, and for the entire church to stand firm in the Lord. And so here Paul is offering these two women and the church uh, a prescription for receiving God's peace so that they can rejoice in the Lord. And so let their minds here there to be of the same mind in the Lord. Um, so along with this then, you see at the bottom of the slide here, uh, unified thinking. Uh, you know what is wonderful about coming into a, a, a Bible-believing church is that like-mindedness right and and so we all believe that the lord jesus christ is savior and lord uh, we all believe in the inerrancy and the infallibility of scripture we believe in the deity of jesus christ we believe in his death his burial his resurrection uh, we believe in uh, his return and so there's that like-mindedness uh, that you find with believers no matter where you go in the world. I've been blessed in my life to travel to the Philippines um, and found that sweet like-mindedness. Uh, believers assembled, uh, wanting to win souls to Jesus, Believers assembled, hungry to hear the word of God, had the same experience, now not a church gathering, but just when we went to Israel, um, pastors from all over America were together on the bus, and uh, we had opportunities to pray and, and to worship uh, outside of a, a church service setting. But that, that same mindedness, um, when we gather together, here this morning, there's someone who brings us all together. It's Jesus. He's the basis of our fellowship. And so that like-mindedness. So why would we let anything else wedge us? So that like-mindedness in, in the thinking, that unified thinking. You know, uh, if you, let me talk to the dads here for just a second since it's Father's Day. Not all guys get into profession sports. I, I get you, okay? I understand. Uh, there's a side of me that 
kind of wants to set professional uh, sports off, you know, because it's not like it was when I was growing up, you know, it's not like real teamwork anymore. It's a collection of superstars that are all belly aching about how much money they earn and how oppressed they are, right? Um, but it used to be a, a real team sport. So there is a side of me, guys, that if you're not interested in professional sports, I get it because I like flowers too, right? And uh, so, but here's the, here's the illustration, okay? Um, in professional sports, you are trying to achieve a goal, win the World Series, win the NBA Finals, uh, win the Super Bowl, right? And so at least for one year, you're all trying to achieve the same thing. But then an individual who has a proclivity for being the diva, all right, begins to cause locker room drama. I mean, if you've heard of what goes on inside the Golden State Warriors locker room, uh, how one of the stars actually punched one of his teammates in the mouth. I mean, just tried to, you know, all five knuckles right in the face. Uh, it, it, what that does to a team, it just destroys any unity. It destroys any like-mindedness because there's, there's one individual who's trying to be out in front, trying to control, uh, trying to take the lead. And so there's, there's not that unified thinking, okay? And now, for what it's worth, when the Warriors won their first two or three championships, there was that unified thinking that they all bought into. We're going to give the assist instead of take the shot, right? And uh, so it, it's very obvious sometimes when you're watching professional sports, when that unified thinking is just lacking because instead of giving the assist to the guy who's standing underneath the basket wide open, someone pulls up from half court and tries to take a shot, right? And so you, you understand at that moment, hey, something's going on behind the scenes here, okay? And so unified thinking uh, leads to this unity. Uh, what we're here for is to have that same mind, that like-mindedness um, in our goal is for the gospel. Our goal is to grow disciples in Jesus, to grow together in fellowship and prayer. And so this unified thinking. And so we, we see here now, not only is this just for these individuals to come together of the same mind, okay? But in verse 3, he entreats the also true yoke fellow. Now, we, we don't know the name, okay? Uh, we think this, this is a, a, a term, but it's someone who labored faithfully with Paul. Um, and so the second point here is this unified working, uh, a yoke fellow. Now, a yoke in the ancient world was a wooden bar that was laid across the neck of at least two animals. And then it had ropes or leather straps that would wrap around the necks and, and the shoulders of an animal. And those animals then were yoked together and they were pulling together. And so as believers, we have to pull together because we're yoked. Well, what's our yoke? Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. 
for it is light and easy. Our yoke is Jesus and his, his ministry. This is his church. We're going to pull together. We're yoked together. And so he urges this true companion, this yoke fellow, to exhort uh, these women which labored with him in the gospel. Um, so here, the, they're to assist Euodia and Syntyche in resolving their quarrel. And so Paul's instruction to this person, whoever it is, it's to make it clear to him that he needs to help. Now, some people look at this and say this is a proper name, uh, which would be Synzygus uh, in the Greek. And some people say, well, see, this was a pagan um, who came to know Christ, and at baptism he received a Christian name. And so he chose the name uh, Yokefellow or True Companion. Uh, but his real name, a proper name, would be Syngaiga. Some people say uh, that really here this true companion is um, Epaphroditus that we talked about last week as a charming Christian. So whoever it is, they're to make sure that these two ladies have not only a like-mindedness, but a, uh, a unified working together because they were with Paul uh, laborers in the gospel, okay? Now, listen, this is really important. Labor in the what? In the gospel. This is what should make a Bible-believing church unique in a community, is that people are laboring together to get the gospel out partnering to declare, to proclaim the word of God, to herald the gospel. And so Paul went into these pagan uh, Gentile Greek cities, this, this Roman empire, and he was looking for teammates to share the gospel. This was the first priority of the gospel. Now, They're fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Oh, what a wonderful thing to know that your name is written in God's book of life. Do you know that God records the names of those who have trusted him for salvation? Let's just do this. Let's just take a few minutes and concentrate on this book of life. Because one thing I want you to take away from it is, God's not going to forget who you are. Some of you might be panicked about, am I really saved today? Well, be at peace because your name's written down. You're recorded in the book of life. Not the book of maybe, okay, but the book of life. And so let's just walk through this for just a moment. Let's go over to Luke chapter 10. Verse 20, notwithstanding, in this do what? Rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather do what? 
rejoice. Why should we rejoice in verse 20? Because your names are written in heaven. Hey, listen, there's a heavenly register of people who have trusted Jesus as their Savior. You know what? Nobody's going to break in and alter that book because it's in heaven. That's where, where God is. Uh, let's take our Bibles and go over to the book of Hebrews for just a moment. Hebrews chapter 12. Look with me at verse 23. It says, To the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are what? Written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. All right, so just a, a little teaching here. Uh, when the author of Hebrews is, is talking about heaven, he said the, the church of the firstborn, um, the spirits of just men made perfect. What happens to you as a believer when your body dies? Well, we place your body in the ground, but your spirit immediately departs to go into God's presence in heaven because you are a just soul. You're a just spirit. You're worthy to be in heaven. So the body goes to the grave and awaits resurrection day where it will be reunited with the spirit or the soul. But yet, you're going to, in spirit form, be immediately in the presence of Jesus. Now, we call this the, the general church. So since I've been here, uh, we've lost a, a few of our church members, all right? Um, Mrs. Gibbs and then also Brother Dewey. And according to the word of God, their profession is that they trusted him as their Lord and Savior. Then they are in spirit in the presence of Jesus right now. They're part of our church, but they're not gathered with us today. But one day, we'll be gathered with them. And that's called the gathered church. And so that gathered church, that general assembly, it has its name written in heaven. God knows those who are his. So have you ever seen those old cartoons of St. Peter standing at the pearly gates and checking his book to see who gets in? Well, we know that that exact imagery is wrong. But the idea of that there's a register of those who are in heaven, well, that's definitely there. God knows those who are his. But you know, this is not just a New Testament concept. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament. The Old Testament believers were saved by faith just like we're saved by faith. Now, they were saved by faith in God's promise that a deliverer was coming. They just couldn't call on that deliverer's name. They didn't know his name. They just called on God and said, thank you for the promise. I know that a deliverer, a deliverer is coming one day. I, I trust your promise. Now, we have the opportunity to call upon the name of the Lord, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So let's look at a couple of Old Testament passages. Let's go to Daniel chapter 12. 
In Daniel chapter 12, uh, we see in verse 1, At that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to the same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered. Every one that is what? Found written in the book. So out of the Jewish people, those who have put their faith in God, whether in the Old Testament like Daniel, his name was written in the book, or whether in this dispensation, in this age, where their faith has to be in, in Jesus as Messiah. Here's maybe another little point that I'll just throw out real quick. A lot of people think just because they're Jewish, they're automatically in a relationship with God because the Jews are his special people. Well, that's true. But it's also false at the same time because we're not born of the will of men nor of the will of the flesh. Our heredity does not make us just, but our faith does. And so just because you're born into a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian. And just because someone is born Jewish doesn't make them a Christian. They still have to put their faith in Jesus in this day and age. Now Daniel put his faith in God, and in that time there was still that book. David knows the same thing. Let's go back to Psalm 69. Psalm 69, verse 28. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. So he's talking about the, those who hate God, those who have enmity towards God, those who have enmity towards the believer. Do you know what blots you out of the book of life? Your unbelief. And that's a sad reality. Here's how I try to explain this. Um, I would explain in my Bible classes, and I, I did this at least one year here at Calvary. At the beginning of the year, I said to every student, you're starting the year with an A+. It's up to you to keep it. <laughs> All right. And uh, so listen, um, God sent his son into this world because he loves us. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and remission of sins. But unfortunately, not all are going to be saved because not all have repented and put their trust in Jesus. And so their name is not in God's book of life. And of course, you come to the end of Revelation uh, chapter 21. Whosoever was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire, which burneth with brimstone forever and ever. Oh, precious soul that you're here today. Jesus gave his blood so that you could be in his presence, so that you do not have to go to hell. Please, we plead with you, we beg you, be reconciled to God today. Put your faith and trust in him. Repent of your pride and put 
faith in what Jesus Christ did for you because he loves you. Please be in that heavenly register. We want to hear your name read and to rejoice with you because as Paul said, you're my joy and my crown. Put your trust in Jesus today, will you? God loves you. And so Paul's instructions here were to help these women labor together. Not only were they to be of like mind, but labor together. Because folks, you know what the reality is? This is no game. There are people in Hollister today that will die and go to hell. Are we as Calvary Baptist Church reaching them with the gospel? Let me ask you a question. I, I don't want anybody to raise your hands. But did you share the gospel this week? Did you give out a gospel tract this week? No, I'll put myself under that same standard and say by the grace of God I had an opportunity to share the gospel for about 30 minutes this week. And what a joy it is to see the Holy Spirit begin removing the veil of darkness from somebody. We're all in this together. There's no individual credit here. We're yoke fellow. We're yoked together. We're, we're true companions. So we need more and more of the team to be involved in sharing this gospel. So this is a, a wonderful blessing of this like-mindedness and this unified working together. And so when this does, it results in joy. The joy of seeing your brothers and sisters and their name written in the book of life. They're going to be in the presence of God with you in eternity. That is joy, folks. The joy is knowing that one day we're all going to stand in the presence of Jesus together and there's not going to be tears. There's not going to be struggles. There's just going to be joy because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Let's move on to our next point here, verses 4 through 7. And that is rejoicing the Lord through prayer. All right, so that you might, like, as we looked at last week, learning how to count to joy by taking heed to a warning. This is an unusual way of, of arriving at joy. And so here is an, an, another unusual way at arriving together in a place of joy. It's through prayer. And as I was mentioning with you uh, during this time of announcement, um, folks, the prayer is dependence upon God. It's the heartbeat of a church. But when the church begins to get answers to prayer, people get excited. They see the energy and the momentum of God going. Little prayer, little power. Some prayer, some power. Much prayer, much power. What do you want to be as a church? Do you want to be a joyful people? Pray together. So let's read verses 4 through 7, uh, Philippians chapter 4.
Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which pathos all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now we're going to, next Sunday night, finish out our series on verse 8, so we'll not mention that today. But as we come through, uh, let's look here at this general exhortation of arriving to a point of joy through prayer. And so having addressed then the individuals in the church, now Paul gives instructions to all the members. He commends them to the peace of God, verses 4 through 7. All right? Um, don't be over-anxious. Listen, we, we live in a day and an age where secular psychology is filled with phobias, fears, um, where there's things called panic attacks, right? Um, now, I'm not trying to be uncaring or unsympathetic when people have panic, but what it is is they don't know the love of God. And they need to know how much God loves them, and they'll overcome their, their fears and their, their worries, their concerns. And so he commends us then to the peace of God. Um, be moderate. Uh, pray. Give thanks. Let your petitions come before God. So in verse 4, he says, keep on rejoicing in the Lord. If you're trying to find happiness somewhere other than Jesus, you're not going to find it. Keep on finding your joy in the Lord. Now, in verse 5, uh, he says, Let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Uh, the idea is of this, this gentleness. Uh, you remember the analogy earlier about the, the, the superstar that wants all the glory when he's got a teammate that's wide open under the bucket, but yet he takes the shot from half court? Well, that is in this concept here. This, this word moderation um, gives the idea of being satisfied with less than one's due. In other words, giving the assist instead of attempting the shot so that the team gets the win. There's no place in a church for people to exalt themselves and to be out in front. We're, we're in this as a team. The only one who is the head of a church is Jesus Christ. And so give the assist. Let your sweet reasonableness, let your forbearance be known. The word known here is the idea of the church knows it by experience. The exhortation is therefore, do not keep the sweet reasonableness in your heart. Let it find expression in your conduct. Then others will experience the blessing also. Now, he says here one final thought. The Lord is at hand, literally very near. Listen, I hope you used some spiritual Q-tips this morning because the trumpet of Jesus may sound at any moment. And the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout. The trumpet of God, the archangel is going to blow it, and the dead in Christ shall rise. And then we which are alive and remain will be gathered together in the air uh, with them to meet the Lord, and we will be with him forever. Listen, 
the return of Jesus Christ is nearer today, certainly, than it was yesterday. Certainly nearer than it was in 2022. Every day that we live, the urgency and the imminency of the return of Jesus Christ grows stronger, not weaker, grows more certain. Jesus Christ is coming back. So our time to work for him is certainly getting shorter. The intensity is picking up. And so the nearness of the Lord's return enforces the gentleness that is necessary for them to have joy. And you know what will steal joy? Is worry. And so focus on the fact that God is about to return. Um, he is coming again. And so this turns, turns a team, turns a church into a victorious church. Turns us into, if you will, that winning church. Verse 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Here we have a prohibition that forbids us to do something that is already going on. Just stop it. <laughs> All right. Stop your fretting. Stop your anxieties. This is not to be the habit for a Christian. This is not to be a habit as a church. Listen, let's just, just apply this for a moment. Okay? We know that you're going to be without a shepherd. But not without the chief shepherd. So there's no reason to be anxious. There's no reason to panic or worry. No doom and gloom. We're done. No place for that, folks. That is wrong thinking. That's not thinking about a supreme God who says, not in one thing should you worry. Not in one thing should you have a concern. No anxiety. Not in one area of your life. Now, listen, we're human. We struggle with anxieties. I struggle with them. You struggle with them. But prayer is the way to overcome them. And so here's how we do it. Paul just doesn't say, pray about it. Okay? He gives some very specific instructions about how we go about this. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. So yes, God does care about you as an individual, so talk to him. Tell him what your concerns are. Yes, God does care for you as a church. Come together. Verbalize those into God's presence. Admit your weakness and find his strength. Find his sufficiency. Come together, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So prayer is the general idea for making requests. But it also carries the idea of adoration, of devotion. So we find ourselves in a time of worry or concern. Our first action ought to be to get alone with God and to worship Him. I remember 
and I'm just going to share a very personal story from my mother-in-law. But when my father-in-law died, that, that fog of death and that grief was there. You can get in a car and all of a sudden you realize you have no idea where you are, right? And uh, what my mother-in-law found was that when she would take time to worship the Lord, the fog would abate. And she found clarity in her grief. And so we come to worship him. So that's prayer. Um, I'll just share with you how this changed a little bit, uh, how I made a, a change in my, in my social media behavior this week, right? You, you'll see from time to time, people put up something like a prayer request and you'll see something like praying for you. Well, I went beyond that to try to put this into practice to make an application with my life. With the next word here is supplication. The earnest sharing of our needs and problems. There's no place for half-hearted, insincere uh, prayer. And now we know that we're not heard for our much praying. That's what the, the pagans think, right? But yet, we must realize that our Father wants us to be earnest in our asking. And so I, I had a friend that put something up this week that said, hey, I need some prayer. And so I, I, I just phrased a little bit differently. I'll be making supplication for you. Which was that, that earnest desire for them in the presence of God, for his help, for their concern. So maybe you can change it up instead of just praying. Maybe it's I'll be making supplication for you. Um, taking our concerns to the Lord. And then after adoration and supplication comes really then appreciation, which is thanksgiving. Um, you know, it's really kind of neat is when children learn to say, thank you. Okay? It, it's real joy to teach Sunday school. We work with the children. We do a craft. And sometimes it's so sweet. Thank you for teaching me today. Thank you for helping me with the craft. Do you think our Heavenly Father looks down at his little children and just rejoices when we say, Thank you, Daddy. Thank you. And so God wants us to show that appreciation as well as adoration and supplication. Uh, give thanks to the Lord. Um, let's go over just uh, back one book. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 20 says this, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So maybe an appropriate application here on Father's Day would just be to say to our Heavenly Father, thank you. And then you can enumerate all of the things that you're thankful for. And so as we look here then, we see this reasonableness and then this prayerfulness. 
What is the end result? Well, listen, when you do things God's way, God cannot but help himself to bless you. And when you run your life the way that God wants it to be run, it can be none other than a life of blessing. And so what is the end result here, verse 7? And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, remember Paul was chained to a Roman soldier, guarded day and night. So he's got somebody who was watching guard over him, right? Well, God will watch guard over your soul. He's got it, folks. Now, a few years ago, one of my family members uh, received, um, in the same year, a big six-inch relief carvings that say, relax, right? And then they themselves bought a little magnet and put on the refrigerator, and it said this, relax. Good morning, this is God. I've got all your worries and concerns today. God's got your back. He's got your heart. He wants to take your worries, your concerns, and see them turn into rejoicing because he has the power to surpass your understanding, to go beyond your understanding. What a wonderful God we serve to know that he takes our anxieties, our worries, our concerns, our panics, and when we thank him in advance, when we tell him what our concerns and our worries are, and when we worship him in prayer, the end result can be nothing other than God honoring himself and giving you a peace. Calmness. Calmness of soul. Calmness of mind. Calmness of behavior. And it will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This is the peace of God. And so one of the verses that I claim in my life is Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. Trust in the Lord. Trust in Yah the Lord. For in the Lord is everlasting strength. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is is stayed on thee. You know what the problem about worry is, is that we fixate on the problem. But we need to fixate on the person of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, our problem disappears. So we can have joy. We can conquer worry. Our emotions will be what they need to be. And our experience will be a peaceful mind. So meet the conditions then that God has laid down. Right thinking, right working, but also sweet reasonableness and right praying. This is the challenge that God has for you today. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say 